everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it lessons from our living rooms or couch conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when? And what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi, everyone. Welcome this week. I am so glad that you are here with us, and I'm really excited. We've been having a ton of fun off off mic already in terms of connecting around this wild parenting journey. I am happy to welcome Jessica Seacrest. Welcome. Hello. How so? Tell me when I start these interviews, I usually just start. I let people do their version of their bio. So, so how how do you come to be in this place with me? I know you do some social media stuff. I know you're you're out there in the world as to how momming works. Tell us about that. Let my listeners know what's bringing you to this place. Yeah. So I started TikTok six months ago, and originally I started TikTok to have a video journey, a video diary of how I was feeding my son because he was diagnosed with ADHD and we were suggested to cut a few things out of his diet. So I thought, well, if for nothing else, this will just give me ideas to look back on when I'm thinking, what do I make him for lunch? And it got really fun and I got really good at it. (laughs) And people started to want to ask me questions. And six months later, I am almost at 90,000 followers on TikTok. Um, And I share my daily life. I share parenting and ADHD. 
ADHD child. I share um, momming together with my very best friend and how we share motherhood and co-parent and child care swap. Um, I share my perspective on body positivity for my kids as well. Um, and I do that all on TikTok and I'm I really show my real life. I show you what my house looks like after a day of fun outside because it's not pretty always. My life isn't always perfect in sunshine and rainbows. So I show real life motherhood. Well, and I love that because we, you know, there's so much broader cultural conversation about what to expect. We have expectations going into parenthood and motherhood. And even though we know, like we, in this day and age, we know that what we're seeing out there doesn't always tell the whole story. We get that on one level, like in our head, we get that. But in our hearts, when when it's hard at home, when motherhood is, is not joyful consistently, um, when you have a child who is doing unexpected, <laughs> difficult, scary, dangerous things, it it can feel really lonely. Was that, was that part of your experience? Oh, absolutely. I felt like I was the only mom who couldn't handle this. So my son has a very severe ADHD, like every symptom of ADHD you can think of. My son probably has it, um, which makes for a very difficult home life when you're balancing, um, a child who has a lot of impulsivity along with a neurotypical child and you're home alone all day with them. And I feel like man, everybody else out there is doing fun things. They're going to the pumpkin patch. They're going to the zoo and they can do these things without fear of their child running away. They can do this without fear of their child jumping off of a bridge or jumping off of a play structure and just injuring themselves because that fear of the um, injury, it just isn't there for him. Um, and I just felt like everybody else seems to be able to figure this out but me. What is wrong with me that I can't do this? Like, I can do a lot of things, but why can't I do this? Why am I the only one? Yeah, and that's, and it's hard because we don't, we don't talk about it a lot, right? And I think, you know, we were discussing a little bit how, I mean, parents who are tuned in and attentive are, will start by doing a self-assessment often, right? It's like, what I see is there's a little of both. We we ask ourselves like, what what am I doing? What am I missing? Like, what is wrong with me that I can't get compliant? I can't teach my kid these things. I can't get through a grocery store trip in a way where my child is listening. And then in frustration often or confusion, then we sort of then it can turn into pointing the other way. Like, what is wrong with this kid? This kid is awful. You know, like you start, it's like you sort of ping pong back and forth between really harsh thoughts about yourself and your child. Talk, talk about loving a kid whose behaviors are hard to like. Oh, see, my child is, he is the coolest kid <laughs> around, right? And I think this is a very common with neurodivergent children is they are so cool. This kid has a memory of unlike anything I've ever seen. He can remember back to like one year old and he'll tell me things. And I'm like, this man, you're so cool and you're creative and you're musical. 
but I felt like I had a storm cloud that lived over my house and it was my son because he would walk around and push his sister down or hurt her, slam her fingers in the door or, um, well, even before she was born, I'd be, uh, doing laundry and I couldn't do laundry in the room with him because he would, I would turn my back, he'd flip over my laundry basket and jump off of it and hurt himself or could climb up in the window and jump out or jump down the stairs. And all of these things are happening and you just feel like you are, I love you so much. You're the coolest. And he's sweet and kind and compassionate and empathetic with his friends. And also at the same time, this little cloud of doom that followed us around, it felt like, and I was, would sit here and go, I love him so much, but sometimes I don't like him. And it was really hard to reconcile because you've got that cognitive dissonance going of where, how can I, at the same time feel so much love towards this little thing, this little human that I brought into this world. And he's so perfect in my eyes, but also doing all of these hard behaviors and every trick I try isn't working. And all of the conventional things that you should try, like they tell you, okay, well have little Johnny sit on the corner to time out. Like, well, that's not working. Like, right. <laughs> Turns all the things that you match probably. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're saying, watch people, um, especially on social media, there's a lot of people who are parenting experts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who are really just moms. And to be fair, I am just a mom who has a child with ADHD, but we have tried a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh, God. And who will role play. If this is happening, if your child throws their cup because they don't like the juice or they don't like the color cup you gave them, then just do X, Y, Z and it will work. Well, it didn't work for me. And I'm like, well, what am I doing wrong? Why is this so hard? And we had to find so many workarounds to get around all of those tantrums and meltdowns and explosions that happen with an ADHD child because it's explosive. Yeah. And I think you were saying earlier, too, I think a really important point that it isn't it isn't for lack of effort. When I'm working with families who are raising high energy, high impulse kids, I talk about how even with the most um, tuned in loving parent, oftentimes the frequency of their doing what they're not supposed to be doing is so high that their live that the kids lived experience is cut that out, put that down. How many times get off there? Don't stand behind there. Get your finger out of that socket. Like let go of your sister's bunny or whatever. You know, it's just this stream of a very frequent corrective verbal stuff and often kids who want to please parent they want to please the people they love they you know they just end up either blowing outward or collapsing inward on themselves and and even as young as preschool age can start to feel defeated by the fact that they're often like and kids' brains are so black and white that they're like the bad kid or they're, you know, being bad. And we, I just really want to drive home for, for folks listening that when you have a motor inside that is running three times higher and you're trying to learn in the world, it, it isn't for willful, manipulative, you know, uh, behavior. I mean, say, say more about that. How hard, was, how hard is that to keep in mind? on the hard days. <laughs> I think about that all the time. I actually, um, I made a video about this oh. because I think it's so important that children who 
um, struggle with listening, especially because I think ADHD is one of those that we struggle a lot with listening. He gets told no far more than he gets told. Good job. I'm so proud of you. You did that great. Did you, I love how you did built that tower. You know, all the things that people tell you, you should be saying to your children happen for him less frequently or less by a ratio than how often he gets told negative input. So he gets way more negative than positive input. So I have to be very cognizant of praising him as often as I possibly can. And I'm not doing that because I want him to think that everything he does is magnificent. I'm doing that because I don't want him to think he's a bad person because this little boy looked at me at three years old and said, mama, I don't want to be a bad man. Because you can see the internal struggle with him. He's trying so hard to be, you know, quote unquote, good. And he is good. He is empathetic. He is caring. He's kind. He's creative. He is all of these absolutely wonderful and beautiful things in this world, but also cannot listen sometimes. So a lot of that I have had to combat in other ways. Um, Listening for ADHD kids is that's one of our number one struggles. And we have found so many things that have worked for us, um, such as like, if you can hear me, put your hand on your head. Can you hear me? And then (laughs) hand is on the head. Or if you can hear me and you whisper. So he hears if you can hear me and he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then he hears me change my tone and, and immediately he's like, oh. She's talking, this is a game. Yeah. So we, a lot of things, and even if it doesn't feel like a game to you, to a four-year-old, that's a game. Yep. Or clean up your room. Well, that, what does that mean to a four-year-old, right? So we play the color game. Everybody gets a color. You're yellow, you're purple, you're blue. Everybody pick up all the blue blocks, the purple blocks, the red blocks, whatever it has to be. And those little games that we have, built into our day help us to function as a family so much better and honestly I did not come up with these ideas on my own I've read so many books watched uh videos and podcasts and all these things because it's it's difficult and you just don't know what's gonna work and you never know with an ADHD kid what that thing that's gonna (laughs) work is there's been so much trial and error for us right and then and then things may work for a little while and then you're like oops we outgrew that or you know like up we better come up with a different reinforcer or a different silly code word or a different wiggle dance well you know when you're done and it feels I think what's what's hard is when you're drained it feels like more upfront energy. And I talk to teachers a lot about this too, right? Because you got to get up, you got to get up and you got to go do it. And you got to beat them to the purple blocks and you got to run around the couch once yourself. You know I mean? Like there's, there's, so it's like more work up front in some ways. There's an energy output that's higher to find the resources, to think of the games that work for kids, your, your children's age. And in the long run, you know, it's it's so worth it because you don't want I mean, kid brain really does categorize things pretty rigidly. And the good, bad category is too um, live for little ones who are, quote, getting in trouble a lot or can can feel it. So to be creative, to do prevention stuff, if dinner time is hard, what can you do that that helps? I love those listening, concrete listening tips and, you know, listening, cleaning, <laughs> you know, dinner, the, the daily routines. And this is what I talk about, too. Right. Like a lot of the parenting there's awesome parenting stuff out there. 
But I always say I try to hang out in the space of like, what does that mean for me on Tuesday? Like, okay, so <laughs> like, no, no. What do I do when or what do I say when or at the dinner table? What does this look like? And so so it's to me, it seems like it's important to do both. You have to have the bigger theory that your kid is doing the best they can to try to please that that if it starts to feel like you're ping-ponging back and forth who's failing that's that's a nod to take a pause and and really step back and and you know ask for help in some ways talk to me about what you've learned about village building because I yeah so I think that in motherhood um we tend to just like wear this exhaustion that we get as a badge of honor. You'll hear moms who are like, I've never had a break from my kids ever. And the reality is at the end of the day, you don't get a prize for being the most tired mom. You don't get a prize for being the most miserable in motherhood. You don't get a prize for not showering every single day. Not to say that those things don't still happen, right? We are still tired. Sometimes we are even miserable. Sometimes we don't get a shower every day. But that doesn't mean that if you do ask for help so that you can take a break or take a shower or not be a miserable mom, because sometimes we are just having a bad day, having a hard day. Um, you don't get a prize for that. At the end of the day, the prize is that you have a healthy, well-adjusted, happy, successful human who hopefully goes out of childhood as unscathed as possible, right? <laughs> right. That's like the goal. Yeah. And I think that in order for us to get into a place where we can ask for help, we need to have what you said, a village. And I talk a lot about having a village and having a community um, because I didn't always have one. Mm -hmm. So up until I met my friend, Emily and my friend, Rachel. So I have two women in my life who we kind of help each other with childcare. Um, we help each other with motherhood as much as we can. I didn't have a regular break. And I think you had mentioned earlier, you feel like you're constantly going and you never, you might be able to take a break, um, take a break in the bathroom, go, yeah. go take a breather. Yeah. But you never really, when you're in the sick of motherhood and you don't have a regular or consistent break, it could be six weeks. It could be six months. It could even be years before you might actually truly get a break. So if you have no village, that is. Yeah. Um, and I found my friend Rachel at the park and we were playing and our kids got along really well. And I said, my, I went, got back to the car and I said to my husband, man, she's cool. I really wished I could be her friend. And he said, can we ask for her phone number? And it was like, oh my gosh, huh, you can do that. You can meet somebody that you get along with really well and your child gets along with really well and you can connect. And after that, there's a lot of building community, friendship, relationships to get to a point where you can lean on them and they can lean on you. Um, but I have another friend, Emily, and she is the one who I feature a lot in my, in my videos because we truly are best friends. We do everyday day-to-day -day motherhood together and it has eased the burden on both of us so greatly. Um, without feeling like you're a burden to them, which is very important because it's almost like when you go on a vacation from work and you return and there's all of this work that has piled up, you don't really feel like you took much of a vacation, <laughs> right? Um, 
So things that we do to help ease that is when we do our childcare swaps. So I'll watch her children so that she can go on a date night and she'll watch my children. So I can go on a date night. We do this every month. So each of us gets one date night a month with our spouses. And while we're doing our date nights, we clean the house. We put the kids to bed. We um, feed them dinner. We get everything in order. So when you come home from your date, it feels like a true break. And you can wake up in the morning to a clean house and happy kids and start off the day on the right foot. So it's truly a break when you do that. And it feels like actually a situation where the date night feels worth it. You didn't have to pay for childcare and your house got a little bit cleaner than it was when you left. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, that's great because most of us. Yeah, I think I hear a couple of really key things in there that you have to be. There's a vulnerability, right? There, there is, you, To be able to trust people enough to be like, oof, you know, this is not what, this is not what I expected and, um, and this is really hard and I'm exhausted and that's okay. And I will, uh, my child and I, like sometimes you have to have, I, I notice with a lot of parents, if we think it's better for us, it's harder for us to do it. If we can truly wrap our mind, wrap our minds around the fact that it's better for our kids <laughs> and mm-hmm. us if we are replenished, right? Like somehow we need that added, like, this isn't just about me getting me time. It is about maintaining connection to a kid who requires a lot of energy. And if I don't fuel up, we are both going to be frazzled. So there's a vulnerability in saying, hey, I need help and thinking beyond the traditional babysitter model. I I like that, right? Like, whereas, you know, you might try to make a commitment to do a date night, but then you're paying for a babysitter and that varies because they don't always understand the momming demand. So having somebody actually do the dishes <laughs> when they're watching your kids is huge. So I think being being OK, saying to people like, hey, next Thursday, I got a bunch of errands I can run. What other day next week could I tag in with you and not be a, afraid of of asking and offering that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yesterday, I realized that my husband had a conflict for his meeting. He works from home. And usually when I have things like this, he can take an hour and work from the living room with the kids and it works out. Uh, But I messaged her and I said, I need a huge favor. Can I drop my kids off at your house? And then I'll come back over to your house and watch them until your husband gets home. So you can head off. She um, is a massage therapist part time. So I was like, I'll, I'll tag off with him so you can head over and get your work done all this so we we tag team a lot right so there are days where we're texting each other and we're messaging and we're like man it's just one of those days and if you're a mom you know what that means it's one of those days and I'll say bring them over drop them off go home do whatever you need to do no worries and there's there's not strings attached to this because it's in our relationship And I think this is important for anybody who's trying to foster this type of community. It has to be reciprocal. It has to be that when I do this for her, she, I know that she's got me if I need it. And there's no, that that if it's not reciprocal, you'll get that um, resentment that I'm always watching her kids and she's never watching mine, but that's totally not the case in, in my situation, which is very nice to have because we really truly care about each other and the kids. We know that when I'm when I'm leaving my kids with her 
with her and her care, they're getting the same level of momming that I do. We parent very similarly, which very is very helpful. And if my kids fall down at the park and my back is turned, she'll kiss their boo-boo. She'll help them up. She'll put them in the swing and push them because we just know we've got each other. We're always watching out for all of the kids. It's part of that community and that village we used to have, but we don't see too much anymore. It's not like this is a brand new concept. It's just not as common anymore. Yeah, I think people, yes, people have gotten more siloed. People move more than they used to move. So they're starting fresh in communities. It's hard to make new friends as a as a parent of young kids. It is. It's like when you're, you know, it's a, it's tiring to do the small talk that leads to the next step, that leads to the next step. But it is an investment. And, and, and I think to your point about reciprocation, most of the time with human behavior, we get a sense of that fairly early on. And that's why the building is important. That's why I'd like going slowly and like, all right, hey, I'll take them to you to, right? Like you can, so that you don't get deep in it, full of resentment. There's, there's usually some indicators along the way pretty quickly, whether or not somebody has the same amount to give that you can find. Each of you is finding an amount to give so that you get a break so that you have more to give. Yeah. <laughs> the way that it works, right? hard to go 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 and be watching other people's kids if you are never getting that break right like I, there's no way I could take on her kids all of the time so she could go on date nights and I never get one I would be like man when is it my turn <laughs> yes. I think there's a thing too about just as a quick nod for parents of singles who happen to be listening um, my experience was that other people worried if they had two kids or if they had three kids and my, that my single kid would that it would be too, you know, be too overwhelming for me because I was used to one. I'm like, oh, heck no. Bring him on. Are you kidding? Having more than what? It's actually a break. Not all the time. I'm not saying it's easier to have multiples than one. There's no easier, harder comparison here. But I'm like, on a given Wednesday afternoon for a play date, if my kid has some distractions and a way to be entertained that isn't me, that's actually its own kind of lovely, too, in a way. Um, so that... Absolutely. Even with our kids. So I have two and she has two. And we find that our kids are better behaved when we're all together. And we'll do things like go grocery shopping together. And if her kid wants to ride in my cart, my shopping cart, go for it. You can take my kids down your aisles. I'll take your kids down these aisles. It makes them happy. Whatever makes them happy and is easier on all of us is what we're going to do. Even if it's not conventional that I'll be shopping in the grocery store with her kids. You know, she's right around the corner. I'm not stealing them, obviously. I'm right over here. But we try and do, you know, even like the mundane day-to-day stuff. Because it can be easier if you have another set of hands. And as parents, um, sometimes having like another mom or another parent around who just kind of gets it. Like, we see the cues of like, hey, they've got to go potty. We're going to, you know, yeah. let's, who's got to go? You know, <laughs> it's easier to do that kind of stuff together. You get a chance to, um, when we go to the park together, if she's got to go to the bathroom, I'll watch all four kids. She can go to the bathroom by herself at the park. Oh my gosh, what a concept. Um, just things that you don't get to do when you're doing it alone. That Those little things you kind of take for granted of, oh no, somebody had a bathroom accident. Well, I've got an extra pair of shorts in my car. No big deal. We can take care of it together. Yeah. It's it's a lot. The burden of motherhood is eased a lot when you're not alone. And and I think, yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think there's there's also something that we were talking about too, 
we heard you say the kids are better behaved as a group, but they also just behave differently with other people around. And that doesn't make you a worse parent. It does not make you a bad parent if your kids are better behaved with other people. Like it's kind of a common phenomenon. And I know it can be tricky too, right? Because if you're and we have to sort of recognize that because the other dynamic I've seen is that if somebody takes a kid who is challenging and they come back and they say, oh, she was so easy. Oh, we went. She was delightful. And, you know, the parent who's hearing this about their difficult ch child, and I mean that the, whose behaviors can be difficult at home, is sort of like, oh. Maybe they're doing something better than I am, or maybe they're, and instead just recognize that this is a well-known phenomenon that we save our, our kookiest selves for the people we are closest to. And that's true oh, in adult relationships. I would get glowing reviews from my son's preschool and I'm like, man, what am I doing wrong? Because the second he walks through my door, it is like a bomb went off. He's, you know, I, I timed it one time how often like his requests for something or needs or, you know, anything that he might need from me is happening. And it was 27 seconds. Every 27 <laughs> seconds he needed something. And I'm like, you are getting parent teacher conference. They're telling me you are great. You're perfectly behaved. The only trouble is you have trouble sitting still, which we know. But yes. I'm like, what is going on here? And I think that a lot of parents feel like that because I'll take my friend's kids and, the, and I'll tell them, no, was, we had a great time. Everything was good. And why isn't he like that for me at home? It's so common. Yeah. It is so common. And it's not a reflection on parenting, I don't think. In fact, I think a lot of people will say that it's a reflection on good parenting, that your child feels really safe to yeah. be their rambunctious selves with you, which is always, you know, so nice. I just wish that one day we could get, you know, one of those <laughs> super well-behaved days. One of those days, because it is, yeah, I think so much of it is the story we tell ourselves, right? We've got to watch what we're telling ourselves about the why. If the days, mm -hmm. if, if the quote hard days are hard because I'm not cut out from this, I was saying for, I'm missing a gene. Uh, I thought I was going to be better, different, uh, you know, or something is really wrong with my kid kind of energy that it, that's an energy drain, right? You wouldn't say that to your friend. You wouldn't, it's like talking to ourselves about parenting the way we would talk to our closest friends on a hard day with their kids is so important. So, and you're more likely to be gentler on yourself. If you have some of these understandings about child psychology and that kids behave better in other places and that ADHD kids are trying as hard as they can and that kid brain does good and bad like some theoretical understanding is helpful um but also just making sure you are finding resources to help create you know tricks and gags and <laughs> uh, and ways to bring energy to stuff that you're asking your kids to do day in and day out the day in and day outedness of this stuff is no joke um yeah and i Nobody can prepare you for having a, nobody can prepare you for motherhood in general, I think. Yeah. But specifically, I don't know if there's any way that anybody could have prepared me for having a neurodivergent child. I think that um, even growing up in a family who has um, neurodivergency, I didn't expect, you never expect it to be as hard as, as 
it is. And people will tell you, oh, just, you know, sleep now, whatever. But I don't, they usually don't extend that to uh, just wait until they're four years old and, you know, and then list out the behaviors you might see. <laughs> and then you're like, well, nobody told me how to deal with this. Why is there no manual on this? Yeah. Why is nobody telling me? So I, I find myself, um, we have biweekly check-ins with my son's therapist and I find myself, um, checking in with her and I go, I am too close to this situation. Here's what's happening. And I'll describe, you know, something innocuous that is going on in our home that is not anything crazy, but I just can't figure it out. And I'm like, I just need a second set. I need somebody who's not in my house, an objective opinion on how I should approach this or handle this. And she has given us a world of resources and tips and tricks and things to try and things. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but at least we're trying, you know, at least you feel like you have something to, to, to work towards. And then the, when it does click, oh, you're like, I feel like I figured it out. <laughs> later when you have something new, right? <laughs> yeah, but that's it. I mean, the day in and day out, it is. It's like, okay, how do we try to stay connected today? The I think the, the idea of what we're teaching our kids just shifts, right? It's like, and also being open to what they're teaching you. Because as you said, oftentimes kids who are neurodivergent are going to bring things into your life that are, you know, awesome and joyful and the and the unadulterated like yippy that a lot of these kids have that we just we're sort of like can we just steer the yippy just a little bit you know in terms of this stuff but there really can be tremendous joy and the reality is it can be super lonely and isolating if you're blaming yourself or blaming your kid. And it can also be really hard on relationships. It can be hard on marriages or or co-parenting when you're in the same house, when you're not in the same house, like it, it, the, the stories you're telling yourself about why your kid is doing what they're doing and why they do stuff differently with one of you than the other of you. And if you would do this differently, they'd be different. You know I mean? It, it, it's layers of opportunity. And this is what I say about the frequency of challenging behavior. When you have a kid who's doing a combination of potentially really big safety related behaviors right with the, the 27 second requests or not listening or whatever think about how many decisions a day a parent is making think about how many times you are tasked with deciding whether to respond or not respond whether to go toward the issue or hope if you just you know don't feed it with energy it'll stay okay is this a consequence time or is it a snuggle time is this like it's hundreds and hundreds of times a day. And if you have, you know, multiple people trying to figure out how to make the same decision hundreds of times a day, <laughs> yeah. that it just increases the stress on systems. So that's another invitation too, because when you can find, when you do the legwork at the park, at the local mommy and me music thing, at the, like find the places in your community, we got, we were already isolating more. And then the pandemic shoved us all into our houses and told us to be happy there. Uh, and I think that you're going to also navigate those daily things different with a buddy than with your spouse or your partner. Yeah. But, yes. And I think we, 
a lot of the time with when I go out with uh, my friend Emily, because we do those, um, you know, library story times and the park and the zoo and the gardens and all of the things that, you know, stay at home moms, anything that's free, we're doing it because <laughs> yeah. stay at home mom life. Right. <laughs> so we try to find things that we can do. That's like nature walks and we try to get creative and all these things. And sometimes we look at each other and we're like, man, we are a good team because we can just, you know, we can tag team it. I think it's a little easier too, because um, I can just reinforce what she's telling her kids. I don't have to decide what decisions she's making for her kids. But if mom said no, mom said no. Yeah. That's, that's (laughs) that. That's, um, and it, it makes it a little easier, especially we do parent very similar. So if I understand why she's saying no, when she's saying no or whatever, and we usually offer, but it makes it easier when you, you have your kids to focus on and you have somebody else who's helping keep an eye. So I'm, my main focus is always my kids. Obviously it's always, my kids are like my number one priority in those situations, but her kids are also always on my radar every time, no matter what, because it takes other people watching out to be able to survive this because we can't do everything all of the time. We can't keep our house perfectly clean. We can't keep our kids perfectly behaved. You know, you can't make a child behave. That's not something that (laughs) we have the power. We can try our very best, but we can't do all of those fun activities. We can't keep our house, you know, beautiful. We can't parent perfectly and do all of these things by ourselves, and if you have somebody there to like pull you out to do these things with it's very helpful because before I met her I would go to do these things and like to the mommy and me things and it honestly I wouldn't last very long because I would get overstimulated and exhausted but having that safety net of having that person who's got the uh, you know has her eyes are scanning too for my kids so if she sees my kids doing something she'll hey did you see that? Or she'll jump up and go help. Right. So I, my focus is on my kids, but I don't have to be as crazy hypervigilant and anxious the whole time. And and you're not white knuckling motherhood when you're doing it with somebody. It's like the, um, it's like feeling like going out to a restaurant by yourself can be scary for a lot of people. And like doing motherhood can feel scary if you're doing it by yourself. And it can feel like everybody's looking at me and they're judging my parenting decisions, but it feels a lot less intimidating when you're doing it with somebody else, because you feel like you're in a group. Then it feels like this shifts from just I'm by myself to it's us and I'm in it together and I'm a team. And that team dynamic, I think really helps. And you get some adult conversation, which is, I mean, you get the stimulation, you get the adult conversation and, and I think what I what I really appreciate that as about that as well is just I, I like what you're saying too about all those things you mentioned the you know sprinkler fest and the garden gnomes and all that stuff but also the grocery store and the bank and the grocery store and the like that the, there's no shame in saying meet me at you know Kroger or whatever you know like that 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 some of those things I think we believe we need to muscle through ourselves and they can be some of the most trying times because when our anxiety is up when we're on a mission to get through things and to minimize the disruptions guarantee our kids can totally feel our inner clench 
They can feel it. Oh. They can totally feel the inner clench. So if you're meeting a, a, a friend and you're going to have a cup of coffee while you wander the aisles and tag team or whatever, it just it just diffuses the that inner clench, I think, that happens. And, and it's a so so for folks to be thinking about even the mundane stuff is is actually yeah. the richest. <laughs> We also realized that um, at some point that, hey, uh, we don't have to do everything. Like, you don't have to do dinner alone every night. We can have, like, barbecues and things. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. You could bring over something, and I could bring over something, and we could just, like, do a meal together. I think a lot of this stuff is stuff that, like, maybe our parents grew up doing that kind of just fell off. And... um, Emily, my friend, was she grew up in a in a community that would do things like this. So to her, this is second nature. I took a little more convincing mm-hmm. because I felt like I'm a burden. I had such a sense of burdening other people with my children's existence, with my own existence, that they didn't ask for my children to be born. They didn't ask for this. I did. They didn't. So therefore, this is on me. I need to do it by myself. But we don't have to do that. We could, you can do, you know, we're adults and we can do whatever we want, which is a fabulous thing. Um, so we'll bring each other lunch to the park. We'll, hey, I'll bring crackers and cheese if you'll bring salami and um, some grapes. And then we'll tag team the kids' lunches too. We'll tag team dinners sometimes because it's all easier if you're doing it together. It's just, it makes so much it makes so much sense, but I think sometimes it's hard to rewire our brain a little bit to say that, like, this is okay. This is allowed. This isn't weird. This is friends do this kind of stuff. People used to invite their neighbors over for dinner all the time, and they don't do that anymore. And it's it helps. It eases, it eases the burden to not have to, you know, some in that situation, neither of us are really thinking about dinner that night. I'm just bringing hot dogs and she's bringing buns, you know, <laughs> so it makes it a little easier. It's always nice to have, uh, you know, buns for your hot dogs in terms of getting that paired up. And I, I thank you so much. I really I really appreciate having this conversation. I know there's so many parents who need to hear this. How can they learn more from you? Like, can you list maybe one or two of your favorite resources and then how folks find you on TikTok? Um, I have read, oh my goodness, um, one or two of my favorite resources. You put me on the spot with that one. I'm not... <laughs> Don't worry. It's fine. You said you got a great therapist. So that's good news, right? Like being able to talk to somebody along those lines. Where can folks find you on? Because I'm sure when you do come across those, you'll share those. Where can folks find you on TikTok? Yeah, um, I'm applesauce and ADHD on TikTok, all one word. Um, and um, that's on my social media platforms is applesauce and ADHD. And there you'll find a lot of day in the life of how Emily and I do motherhood together and sharing um, recipes and body positivity and parenting and mom life and all of that fun stuff that comes with motherhood and just sometimes my little random thoughts that pop into my head that are sometimes fun and zany because you know I am still a a fun and zany person too even if I am a mom yeah right like how let's let's hear it for not losing the the zaniness amidst the day-to-day stuff so in celebration of zany thank you very much for joining me today Jessica I really appreciate it and I look forward to to getting the word out about all the ways you're you're helping moms feel 
less alone and more connected um, and gentle with ourselves because everybody wins when that happens. So thanks again for joining. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.